control. Okay, so we're live. I'm gonna just full screen my thing here as well. All right, thank you, Tommy, for coming on. Right, so as we kind of were chatting before recording started, it's about like your journey and how things have developed since you've started your journey, right? So in, in health, in movement, in fitness, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. So let's yeah. start with how you got into handball, right? Because I know it's a very popular sport in Sweden, but let's just uh, yeah hear about that. Yeah, so that, that was actually pretty basic. My, my whole, the, the, the class that I was in, Basically, all the guys in the in the class—not all the guys, but but the, most of the guys there were were doing sports. They played soccer. I mm. never liked soccer, and then they mm. we started. We tried out handball. We mm. got stuck with that, mm. and I did that uh, from I was 11 till I was 19, uh, 19, mm. 20, or something like that. When it was time for when it was time for army conscript time, I. Kind of quit handball mm. and uh, did a little bit of it afterwards, mm. but uh, mainly we we played together. We were the same team um, from you know the same guys from from we were 11 to we were 19. Mm. That's so really cool. A, a good crew. Yeah, yeah. Were, during that time, especially as you uh, were growing up in handball. Did you get exposed yeah. to a lot of strength stuff there already? Or is that something that came later? No. So, so physical training or, I mean, uh, strength training came when we were supposed to get into the senior team when you were a junior, when you were like 15, mm. 14, 15, around there, and you're starting to expose to, the, to train with, with, the, with the seniors. Mm. Uh, handball players tend to be pretty big. Uh, mm. so um, I mean if you look at them now they're at least I mean if you're if you're smaller than 190 and, and, and 100 kilos you're, mm. you're a small player right they, mm. they're really really big nowadays much bigger now than before so mm. when we got into it we kind of uh, we started trying to transfer into that we needed to start to put some muscle on mm -hmm. so yeah we did basic Back then, it was basic bodybuilding, weight training. It was like you know, uh, the, gotcha. the, the basic training, the bench, the mm -hmm. squats, the, the whatever was in the gym. And mm -hmm. you didn't put a lot of, we didn't get a lot of uh, technique and how mm -hmm. to just basically, we, we got sponsored, I think, with a gym card to get to a gym. Mm -hmm. We started training there by ourselves and cool. a little bit with the coaches. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And was it after your conscription that you got into Krav Maga or was it before? No, it was after. It was yeah? after. Okay. I was um, on my, I finished conscript, got out and uh, I always wanted to do Thai, uh, or Thai boxing. I started a little bit when I, mm -hmm. I tried it like three times when I was 15. Mm -hmm. But because of handball or everything else, I never got into it. Mm -hmm. Because we basically, we trained you know, four, four days, four or five days a week. Yeah, it's pretty and, intense. And play, yeah, and play games in the in the weekend. So there was no mm. time for anything else. So when I got out to conscript, I had thought of doing some martial arts because I always int was interested in it. 
And basically, I ran into two guys um, with Kramaga shirts. Mm-hmm. I was, I had returned a VHS cassette back at that time. <laughs> uh, I'd returned a, a, a video to a video store. I walked mm-hmm. out. Two guys walks in with Kramaga shirts on, and I looked at it. Saw Israeli self-defense or Israeli martial arts, mm-hmm. but then I. I started walking home. I didn't think much of it. Mm-hmm. So about 30, 40 meters later, I was like, no, I need to go back and ask what that is. <laughs> yeah. That, that basically, that's basically how I, I got into Krav Maga because they, mm-hmm. they just started the, the first Krav Maga club in Sweden. Okay. This was 1994. Mm-hmm. So I started training there. Uh, I started learning and uh, it was like five, 600 meters from where I lived. Oh, that's and nice. Yeah, I got my own key. I, I you know, I cleaned the floors. Uh, old I, school. I mopped the floors. I, uh, and then I could spend time on the heavy bag and, and the mm. bags and every, all the other equipment. Yeah, so it was a little bit like that. Old school type yeah. training. Mm. Um, then EL came to, to Sweden that year. I think it was that year. Mm. Uh, and we did some seminars in Gothenburg in south of Sweden we did some seminars in um, Stockholm mm-hmm. or we Eyal did seminars and I traveled I was I was his driver mainly oh that's cool <laughs> and, and one of the one of the, the kind of students there yeah mm. yeah so you got to actually pick up a lot like quite yeah. early on right yeah. that's that's a really nice way to get yeah. locked into it yeah definitely it was that's awesome thing. and was there a point as you I, I guess maybe when you started grading that made you really go like okay i i kind of get this feeling that i want to keep doing it or maybe start instructing or maybe it was less or maybe it was more of a natural process that just just kind of fell into yeah i i liked it uh, it mm. was it's hard to say but i felt it was easy for me Mm. I kind of, it came natural for me. And uh, I mean, I had the, the physical skills or, or motorical skills from, from being active with handball all my mm-hmm. life and, and everything around that. Um, always been physical, you know, climbing trees, running, jumping, you know, mm. biking, everything like that. Natural movement. But so... We did gradings and then there was an instructor course planned mm. in 1996. That was the first one. Uh, me and Runa and some other guys who are still active was on that one. Mm-hmm. And it was like a natural, not just a natural step for me to, to move into that. And uh, yeah, so I just followed the, followed the flow where it felt yeah. natural. Yeah. And that was actually really natural. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Because yeah. then from there on out, as your, your Krav Maga journey started developing, when was it that you did your black belt test, your expert one? I don't remember. No? <laughs> That's fine. All I, right. Actually, I think my... I think it was around 98. I mm. did my black belt or expert one. Yeah, mm. 98, I think. Did they have the patches back then already, or was it still belts? Mm, no, we had. So when I started, I actually had. I have 
yellow, orange, and green belt in Krav Maga. Mm. I don't have the belts anymore, unfortunately. I don't know. They're, you know, they're gone somewhere. I, have <laughs> yeah. I still have the diplomas, though. Mm. And then when around 96, when I did the instructor course, I was uh, advanced practitioner four. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't have graduates back then. We had okay. practitioner one, two, and three, advanced mm-hmm. practitioner four and five, and then mm-hmm. expert. Yeah. So then, then those got split into like half and half. The no. like first two and a half was uh, practitioners, and the last was graduates, and so on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. So no, it was an expert one diploma. I didn't have a. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a black belt. Okay. Cool. And was it kind of around that time as well where you had set your sights on doing that full time? And I actually started, so me and another guy called Stellan, called his name Stellan, <laughs> he started a, a, a bodyguard company and he stayed with that. And I went into, because he's also a Chroma Guy instructor. So we went mm-hmm. into, uh, we had Chroma Guy part of the company and then we kind mm-hmm. of split. He stayed with the, that part and yeah. I did, I went through Chroma Guy. Mm. But my main start of like doing Kramaga full time and professionally was around mm. 2002 when, um, when Kramaga was introduced in the Swedish army. Okay, cool. And were you then involved with teaching that to the, yeah. 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 Awesome. So there, there was uh, Eyal Amnon at that time, me and some other guys who were, uh, helping out uh, mm. setting up the in-house system for the Swedish army mm. or Swedish defense force. That it was, I mean, it was from all regiments, from all branches yep. back then. And we did the instructive courses and we were there for uh, three years mm. doing uh, the instructive courses. We helped worked on, on the in-house system, creating the first part, like the mm-hmm. first idea of it and then um, we helped developing or uh, teaching the examiners and the examiners later on became the guys who taught the their in-house system to the instructors who could teach mm. it to the soldiers yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. so yeah spent some time there it was yeah. a good time yeah yeah it's very cool actually i had no idea that it was a part of the swedish um like combative curriculum it it is uh, it's been changed now, as far mm. as I know. Not completely. It, it still has parts of it, I think. Mm. Uh, but yeah, back then it was um, uh, it was uh, Krav Maga. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Shifting gears a little bit. Is it, mm. Around which time did you start getting introduced to kettlebells and, and where did that come from? Uh, that was in... 2005 I started lifting kettlebells for the first time mm-hmm. um, I had some good friends who came back from from the US they've been lifting uh, lifting barbells in according to Pavel's one of Pavel's books power mm-hmm. to the people right he came home uh, Joachim Engberg he's a MMA coach mm-hmm. he came home and uh, we lifted weights according to that, mm-hmm. um, 
then we knew that Pavel had written a book called the Russian Kettlebell Challenge, the, mm-hmm. which became the RKC. Mm-hmm. And uh, then another fr- friend, Anders, um, worked at Fighter Magazine at the time. He traveled to Denmark and met up with Kenneth Jay and some other guys, the mm-hmm. guys who were uh, kettlebell instructors already back then. Uh, he came back and he introduced me to the kettlebell training in 2005 and the year after 2006 unders me and another Swedish guy which is not from us we went down and became certified as the like mm. I guess first uh, uh, kettlebell instructors in Sweden in 2006 awesome. so that's that's where it started yeah way ahead of the curve <laughs> mm. yeah because mm. I good, think good sometimes we... and bad sometimes yeah I mean, if we put that in perspective for people that aren't very familiar with kettlebells, I think kettlebells didn't really start rising in popularity until, I don't know, like 2016 or something that became like really popular and just kind of yeah. had its year or something or two, maybe that it was at the forefront of, let's say, so, the fitness revolution. Yeah. So I would say that, I mean, Pavel brought kettlebells to the West, let's say that, mm-hmm. in... Uh, and I think that the first kettlebell certifications were in 2002. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, I think we're at least six, seven, eight years before the, mm. the main uh, bulk of people opened their eyes for it. Yeah. Um, we, started, we started traveling. Mm. I started selling kettlebells That's... and traveled, traveled Sweden. Mm-hmm. With a Land Rover Defender full of kettlebells, uh, which I used for seminars. I mm-hmm. would use them for the workshops and then sold them because there were no kettlebells to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like a traveling <laughs> kettlebell teacher uh, <laughs> salesman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, it sounds like fun because, especially like those already two fields that you were very early in right doing seminars in in Krav Maga or going around with it all in the beginning and then doing this with the kettlebells uh back in the day so that's that's really cool and at what time was it around that time when you started taking strength training more seriously that you started tinkering with your nutrition as well um so my strength training I mean the training started around there. I mean, the way of, mm. of, of how to train that mm. you got through the, the instructor courses with the kettlebells, mm. that changed my way of thinking of training mm-hmm. uh, because I didn't have a, like a system before. I didn't have that way of thinking of quality before, before, before quantity and, and <laughs> all that, you know, uh, all that part. Nutrition came for me um later it came later i think no but actually i started my i started doing warrior diet around 2006 i think mm. that was and that was also i mean ori hofmeckler who wrote that book was also connected to the same organization that pavel was uh-huh. writing the warrior uh, warrior mm. diet book so i read mm. it around about it there mm. starting started doing that 
uh, and in that also all the stuff about the LCHF, like the low carb diets and mm. the keto, all that stuff came in. Mm. Uh, so I, I'd say that I've tried all of of those diets yeah. <laughs> for, for a while, mm. uh, for good for good and bad. Mm. But uh, I mean, I've tried the I've tried the the low carb. I tried keto, really strict. I've tried um, zone diet mm. that's used by 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 CrossFit a yeah. lot. And I was introduced by, to that by Runa actually, mm. and tried that, and that actually worked. It, it, it was it was a nice way. But the only thing that really stuck with me was the intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I switched to the 16-8, like the lean gains type of, of, mm. of eating for, uh, I don't know when. Mm. It was just that it became really, it becomes so strict mm. with the 20-4. It becomes really restrictive of your days. Yeah. And then same thing with the 16-8. and eight. Mm. Actually, it becomes too restrictive. So the for me now, it's only the only thing I don't do, and that happens naturally, is I don't eat breakfast. Mm, yeah. Um, I just eat breakfast around 12, 1. You yeah, know, your first meal. Feel, yeah, when I feel like it. Yeah. Uh, if I have my boys at home, I'll eat mm. breakfast with them. Nice. So I have nothing, I have no, kind of no diet that I'm, I'm, mm. I'm strict to now. Mm. the intermittent fasting happens by itself because I'm used to it and I don't get hungry in the mornings and I work mm. well. Yeah. Um, I really don't want to train hard with the full stomach. So mm. depends on when I'm training also. Yeah. Mm. Makes sense. And then that's also one of the, the main things um, as why I wanted to have you on as the first guest because I remember you posting the warrior diets on your Facebook and I, I can't even remember how I found you. I know it was something Krav Maga related, mm-hmm. maybe something that somebody else posted from somewhere. And I was like, oh, this dude is yeah. uh, really built. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's, let's see, you know, like uh, what, what he is about. And then it yeah. was, you've posted some things that were probably more health related, but it, sporadically. And then the warrior diet came up. I was like, this has got to be interesting. And yeah. then I found it online. I read it. And that's actually when I started doing intermittent fasting as well, which nice. helped me. Yeah. Which benefited me quite greatly, which was very interesting because, you know, I, I guess it's kind of the same or from what I know from Sweden and just general Western culture, you know, it's kind of like you have your set eating times and it's like, you, if you don't have your three meals and your couple of snacks, then you know, things are going to go wrong according to them. Right. And it was a complete paradigm shift in my head. I was like, my parents thought it was really weird. Right. Cause that's just the way parents are when you're, I think I was like (laughs) 20, 20 something. I was like, yeah, I'm going to stop like eating breakfast. And they were like, okay, what's going on? I like changing the, um, yeah, the way I ate towards the warrior diet where I think a part with part of it was like having your, uh, carbs and your protein separate or something if i recall no, it vaguely no. no okay no so so warrior diet diet is made it, it's like 20 and 4 you have mm. your um, 
I mean, the way, at least the way I followed it was like, mm. you have one main meal in the evening, you have a four mm. hour eating window where gotcha. you really eat. And mm. if you're training during the day, you really eat some, you, you can eat some nuts, mm. uh, you can eat some carrots, some berries in the day. And mm. you, if you train, you eat some lean chicken or something like that, or yep. lean proteins before mm. and around the training. Mm. But you have your main eating eating window in um, mm. in the evening, yeah. and then you, if I remember correctly, you eat you start with leafy greens mm. and some with some oil or something like that, and then mm. you go for your proteins, and then you finish with your carbs. Oh, yeah, okay, so that was uh, it. Something something like that. Mm. I never I, I never followed that because at the same time I was kind of playing around with with the with the low carb so mm. i ate mainly meat in the evenings mm. that's what there was a lot of people remembering for me for my burgers and so on so but uh, nice. remember me but i mean that there was a lot of people reacting to that mm. yeah but that's very cool because that's um i think i i have it on my kindle actually the warrior diet and i read a part of it it was the one of the first books Uh, and it's, I mean, it's old in retrospect of where we are at now, but at that time when it was talking about the nervous system, it was yeah. very ahead of the, the curve, right? How your parasympathetic nervous system is involved in digestion. And it, mm -hmm. the funny thing is that that has come up quite often, of course, or maybe it's not, of course, it's not obvious to, to people as it is right now, but as it's becoming more present, But it, yeah. this was when I had another read through through that intro. I was like, wow, I can't believe I missed that at that time. You know, it just went way over my head. I was like, nervous system, what? I'm just yeah. here to get healthier and, and leaner. So it's, yeah. uh, it, it's actually full of gems still, even though some of the concepts might be uh, sli slightly outdated. But I would say that a, a lot of it did, did a did a very proficient job at making people leaner and stronger for a period. Yeah. Um, but I would say, I would say that thanks to being, being uh, uh, like hunting all the time when you're, when you're not eating, mm. you're kind of, kind of in a sympathetic response all the time, mm. uh, which doesn't fit everybody regarding if they have a high stress work. Mm. I mean, if they're already, already already high stress with work and life and so on, and then you add a, a diet that adds to your sympathetic responses, mm. uh, it, it can increase the, the, the stress levels uh, mm. if you have somebody who's already up there. Uh, I never had that issue. I mean, I did, I did warrior diet when I did my fights. Mm. Oh, that's uh, impressive. Yeah, so when, when, when it was time to cut weight, the only thing I did was skip to dinners. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, what we do, did to cut weight two weeks before we cut the carbs, but I was already not eating carbs. I mean, <laughs> I was, I, at that time, I was doing like the mm -hmm. low-carb diet. Yeah. And so the, And then two days ahead, you stop eating to, to drop weight, right? Mm. and since i only ate dinners at that time the the only thing i did was skip two dinners yeah yeah and i was kind of used to being hungry so it wasn't that mm. much of an issue for me 
except the last time just before before weigh-in and fights and mm. you like uh, you also dropped weight with with uh, losing water mm. so that's i mean that's at the end of it of course but oh yeah so, that's uh, a a very interesting tactic right i know that there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. um frowning upon that in the weight cutting scene for well professional to amateur athletes it almost doesn't matter right there's like a, a golden standard that people try to maintain i mean that being said there's also very little room for bio individuality in these types of discussions as a whole right yeah. what, what works for you i mean if it worked and you performed well yeah. there's really no but problem. to be honest i would never go low carb again mm. for me i mean it's that that's the reason why i i quit it uh mm. because i had no energy for training i mean mm. all i mean all things i do mainly is anaerobic right which means mm. you need glycogen you need to refill and replenish your glycogen stores to mm. be able to explode yeah and if you if you're on a strict keto mm. uh, it becomes really really hard to to have it because there's no glycogen right mm. you're not, not getting it and you're not getting that the that fuel that you need for so every kettlebell swing is anaerobic every mm. punch is anaerobic every sprint is mm. so if you don't have the carbs um i would i would in retrospect i wouldn't probably change that before that uh adding uh, adding carbs after being low carb for a long time helped mm. me a lot with with uh general feeling mm. uh, uh how i can how i can train how much harder i can train mm. my my the the i mean recovery time is much lower i can work longer i can work harder uh so mm. yeah Yeah. it was nice to try low mm. carb but it won't be happening again <laughs> yeah. no man but that's that's also the beauty of experimentation right you come to find out what works for you and what doesn't and what becomes mm -hmm. sustainable yeah It's yeah i mean you have to be able you have to be able to do it for a long time yeah and and to be honest i i mean i, I try the keto down to the point where you, 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 you're measuring your ketones in your urine mm. to, to, you know, I did that for eight weeks, but it's like an eating disorder for me. I mean, mm. I, you know, no, I can't eat that. I can't, it, it, it didn't work well. Mm. I tried counting my macros, mm. and, but that ends up that I had kind of have to almost weigh my food. Yeah. Mm and uh, as long as that happens i it, it to me that feels almost like an eating disorder mm. because you have to control your food so much mm. so i i just for, for me it doesn't work uh, i'm back to i eat whenever i want whenever i want it mm. uh, obviously i think of of not eating too much crap but i have no things that i don't eat mm. and i'll eat candy if i feel like it and, mm. you know You know, um, it's because uh, I'm active enough to be able to do it, mm. um, and and I I think that 
obviously that's also a thing but i don't think that uh, for, at least for me it doesn't it doesn't work to having to count or measure or mm. doing all that i might do that if i wanted to do like a weight cut or, or mm. you know anything like just and i could do that but mm. that would be because it's fun mm. you know uh, yeah. you know but, but i do those things for because i don't have a goal now i don't mm. have a fight fight train for i don't have a or to lose weight for or anything like that so it, mm-hmm. so losing weight for me now is is kind of um it's it's pointless there's there's no need for it i i want to feel mm-hmm. healthy and i want to feel strong mm-hmm. and i know for me that if i eat um eat well and uh, and enough i'll i'll add weight mm-hmm. uh, so yeah and um and just play with the training i do usually main things for mm. me all this has been for for trying out i want mm. to try to see what happens yeah. Mm. yeah and that's again like it, it's always good to try these types of things with that mindset and see what happens because i've mm-hmm. done strict keto as well um mm-hmm. i think that was 2018 so when i came back from israel uh doing the expert test Uh, mm-hmm. still injured <laughs> the injury was worse actually and it was also kind of like okay like i know this could help mitigate some inflammation and uh, speed up the recovery process potentially mm-hmm. but um it was one of my major gripes with keto was measuring everything out because mm-hmm. a classical keto would be like 70 of your intake would come from fat mm-hmm. and um Yeah, that didn't last very long. I think after two to three months, I was like, that is just way too much fat for me. Like it's it's uh it's not enjoyable. And I'm oh. one of those types of people as well that I don't really like to track what I eat in the sense like I, I don't need an app to tell me anything that I don't already know about myself because of all the experimentation that I've done. I know which foods work for me and I know which foods don't. But it yeah. becomes this like myopic, like, oh, I need to, you know, I don't know how much fat is in there if we're, you know, talking keto, yeah. but for yeah. other people it could be, yeah, you know, their macro is just in general. So, yeah, and, and, and again, I mean, the using apps and so on, if you have a certain goal and you're, I mean, let's say somebody needs to lose weight and all that stuff, measuring mm-hmm. and so on. And being being uh, on in a calorie deficit and so on. I mean, that's that's all good if you have a goal to be there, mm. uh, and you and some people might need it. But but mm. if you don't, I mean, my feeling is just that a lot of the time your body knows what 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 it needs. Yeah, and uh, when you when you've been training for a long enough time. Mm. I mean, let's call it using the machine enough time. You usually knows what it needs mm. when it needs it. Yeah, 100%. And, and it's like you you get in touch with your your how you work, mm. and you refill and you you drink whenever you need it. Mm. Uh, I'm the same thing with when it comes to hydration. I'm not the person you'll find. I'll have this. I'll have coffee, <laughs> but you won't find me with a water bottle everywhere, and, mm. you know, hydrating and all that stuff because I don't have a need for it. Mm. Um, I'll drink when I'm thirsty, and I think that my body regulates that pretty well. Yeah, and it's really hard to uh, 
it's hard to to uh, push your system yeah so that's also like a good case against a lot of standardization from the industry in intake whether it is food or you know uh, hydration water and it's also a really good case about well, what they would call nutritional wisdom, which is the innate intelligence of the body that it, it knows what it needs and will crave that or tell you that it needs it, which is a part of biofeedback as a whole, right? Which is, yeah, basically what people can get to if you experiment and self-experiment and track and maybe measure come does, yeah, can be beneficial with that as well. But it's... Um, Definitely, but I mean, at the same time, if there if if there's people who need that type of help, I mean, with inflammations and with overweight or need to put weight on, I mean, it, it's both sides of the spectrum, right? And mm. uh, I mean, there's educated people on that. Why there are too much of the? I've done it because I had no right. I've mm. never had a need to. I have to lose weight because. Mm -hmm. I'm too overweight or I have to add weight because I'm, I'm, I'm too light. Mm. Uh, but I mean, there's, there's people who spend like years <laughs> in, in universities on, on, on nutritional studies. And mm. uh, as long as the studies are working, I think that that's where we, um, I think if, if there's a need for any of that, Mm. I think that's a good way to start. And then with that as a base, you can usually, you can usually find your own, uh, uh, your own needs in that mm. sense. I don't know. That's the best word I can use, but yeah. you, you find what you need mm -hmm. when you have a good base of knowledge from somebody who's, who's knowledgeable in it. Yeah. Um, so there, I, I, for me, there's a difference if there's somebody who needs, um, mm really need something to mm. for, you know or somebody like me who who wants to try out things and test them and see where it leads me and mm. and uh, and do my my own kind of research on myself mm. because i think it, because i think it's fun yeah, yeah. That, that's a different thing right mm. um yeah no it, it is fun and it can like you said before in here that it can it can be for better or for worse yeah but at yeah. least we we can come back from that right so, so that's what mm. matters yeah definitely mm. so that's mm. also a case for not being dogmatic right and being flexible yeah. and just experimenting yeah. and then eventually kind of yeah feeling out what works for you because yeah. one of the things that you said that i was that i thought was interesting is that I mean, I, I've never heard you mention it before anywhere else is that that's the warrior diet, the type of prep you used for your fights. And when we talk about your fights, what actually inspired you to start doing professional fighting? Because you did three MMA fights professionally. Yeah. If, yeah? Three. Okay. yeah. Uh, it was, let's call it the fluke. That also same mm -hmm. as with Krav Maga. So mm -hmm. I was, I was at the time I was at Fire Center in Gothenburg. And I was coaching uh, a few guys for their professional fights. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Alexander Gustafsson, the Moller, mm -hmm. yeah. and Tom Josef, Anton Matson, Eddie Bengtsson. Where there were a few guys, I was helping them mm -hmm. with kettlebell training for their professional fights. And basically, every 
session we did, I I did um, slow fighting with them as mm. warm up, just mm. play fighting. And I've known them for for years. I mean, I did my first shoot fighting training back in '98, I think. Mm. Uh, so I've been doing shoot fighting. We've been traveling Sweden with with shoot fighting and and so on. Mm. We did. Uh, we did uh, like exhibitions in the shoot fighting uh, in the pauses between the fights when they they be, in the beginning we basically traveled all over sweden denmark mm. and norway did and did shoot fighting competitions i didn't compete but we did mm. there our exhibitions and we traveled with all the guys that's so, very cool yeah it was really cool and uh, i actually think that put a lot of uh, a lot of the the old kramaga schools at least in sweden Mm. came uh, not a lot but a few came because we did an exhibition in that city and somebody saw the exhibition and it kind of mm. rolled into becoming an instructor uh, but anyway so we did um, we did slow fighting as warm-up and uh, i don't remember who said it but one of them said like uh, so when you're signing up for a fight uh, mm-hmm. I was like, no, 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 no way. I'm not, no, I'm too old. That was my first answer. I was, uh, I was 37 at the, at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I signed up for a fight, did my first fight, uh, did, uh, that worked out well. I won mm-hmm. by a TKO. Uh, and then, uh, I got, uh, I got the taste for it. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. So I did a second fight, uh, broke a rib there, had a surgery. Um, and that's, uh, so th- that's how I started actually by, by, because I was coaching the guys with, uh, mm-hmm. with kettlebells f- to prepare for their fights. Mm-hmm. And when you got into that, because you were already shoot fighting, the preparation, did you feel like you had to supplement with more striking or was that something that also seemed, I mean, then you've been doing Krav Maga for quite some time already. So, yeah, so no, I didn't, I didn't do anything else that I just did. I just started training more and prepping for the fights with, with mm. the guys at, the, uh, at that club. Mm. Uh, and uh, that was about it. And I, I, I mean, I've had done shoot fighting, but not that much. I wasn't mm. for a while. I did it like a few times a week and then I didn't do it for a while because I had Kramaga and teaching and there was mm. other things that happened. But then when I decided to start to do the, f- uh, or to do the fights, I definitely signed up. Mm. Or it signed up, but I started training, uh, more regularly and prepping for the fights. Mm. Yeah, so, but I didn't have to add anything special. Mm. I mean, I, I started doing more MMA training. That's it. No. I mean, like doing what needed to be done. Mm. And there's a difference on MMA if you fight in a ring or if mm. you fight in a cage. Mm. Um, because when you fight in a cage, you need to work, know how to, to work the cage. Mm know how to press somebody how to turn how to get up against the cage and how to use the cage to your advantage mm. both in, in advantage like um, offensive and defensive mm. so um, yeah training in a cage training mma doing grappling doing mm. striking and and stand up and everything that's in it 
Mm. That was what I started doing more. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And when you had your surgery, it was a metal plate and some screws that they put in? Yes. Seven screws, I think. I just put a picture up. Yeah. I think they said, yeah, that, so, uh, a metal plate. So one of the ribs came out of the cartilage uh, mm. at the sternum and, and uh, was broken. So it was, there was two breaks in one. Mm. Uh, and so they cut a piece off of the rib because they were overlapping. Mm. I don't know if you saw the picture that I posted. Yeah, I saw the back. picture. <laughs> so, the, so they cut, cut a piece there off and they mm. put a metal plate on it. And then after the second fight um, or the third fight, I don't remember exactly, the, one of the screws came out of the bone. Oh, okay. Uh, I, did, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't, actually, I didn't feel it. No, okay. it was obviously, I broke it in the second. So after mm. the third fight and the prepping for the third fight, mm-hmm. um, the, the, one of the screws came out of the bone. So when I pushed my chest out like this, the, mm. the screw pushed on the, there was like a little tent under the, under the skin. Mm-hmm. So they had to remove the, the, that plate and the screws again. Yeah. How's, how have your ribs been since then? <laughs> it's, it's been good yeah. no, but uh, so I had because they cut like I don't know centimeter or half centimeters mm. off that, that rib is a little bit uh, it's a little bit problematic still mm. uh, also the fascia is connected to the muscles so when I move sometimes it's like mm. pulling on the fascia but the mm. skin is attached to the fascia and in the beginning for the first year i had a neck problem on the same side mm. um because everything was a little bit crooked movement wise right yeah makes sense and yeah. when we speak about movement because that was also one of the i think uh a paradigm shift maybe not just within the krav maga community itself but i mean it definitely was for us back in belgium or it, mm-hmm. it felt that way anyway, thinking back yeah. and then here as well, was the yeah. uh, introduction of primal movement, which was one yeah. of, I, I'm not sure where it came from, but that you were one of the first guys that I know that was uh, talking about it, which is yeah. a, a locomotion style based yeah. movement method. I mean, it's yeah, not it's really not- a program. It is. It is a program. Uh, it it was called Primal Move first. Then it was mm. called Primal Charge, mm. and now it has the name Ground Force Method. Mm. And it's a it's a movement based system that's based also on on, on uh, human be- development. Mm. It's based on play. It's based on uh, on proprioception. Mm-hmm. and being able to move well before you move much. So it has a connection with the functional movement screening or the FMS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was created by Peter Lakatosh, who's also mm-hmm. a black belt, BJJ black belt, and mm-hmm. a Kamaga expert three, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Expert three. Um, so he, he created that system. I, I was kind of with him in a way when mm-hmm. that happened. Um <laughs> Cool. I don't know if I, how much I influenced it, but but we were talking about it, and he created the system, and then uh, then we started teaching it. 
and it's been uh, some of the movements there, some of the stuff there has been really helpful with people. Mm. I've had some people who, but their their um, double herniations in the lower back is, has become better, and they, mm. you know, tingling in the feet disappear and so on. So it's been really really helpful, and it helps mm. me also sometimes. Yeah, yeah, because we use it a lot as. Well, let's say more of a natural approach to warming up and getting yeah. people in the zone. And I really enjoyed it because I was already moving into more of a movement-based approach or not when I saw that in the beginning because that was one of the mm -hmm. first uh, introductions to locomotion that I had yeah. maybe early 2014 or something. So when we speak about the movement community as we know it today, which is largely influenced by Ido Portal, that wasn't really, I mean, it was going on in the background, but that I wasn't connected to that at all. Mm -hmm. So when I saw the primal move and ground force method now, then I was like, oh, this is refreshing, you know, yeah. coming from, I mean, like the, the play element is also a really big aspect of that as, you know, people stop playing and yeah. they stop having fun and they stop doing a lot of these natural movements, but the yeah. locomotion aspect of it and the flow elements really spoke yeah. to me personally. And it's something yeah. that I used very often um, in the warmups and even as a cool down yeah. at times and something that was really big here in, uh, in Oslo in Norway yeah. when I yeah. started, because you know, the, the Scandinavian stronghold <laughs> was, was ahead <laughs> of the curve as usual. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so one of the benefits with with the like the the warm up part of of the ground force method, which is called the GFE, was a ground force exploration. I mean, mm. that's that's made a little bit like a, a, a quick scan if you teach a group, mm. but it's also a really really comprehensive and well connected warm up drill. It takes about mm. seven eight minutes if you do it and if you know how to do it. And it Im improves proprioception, mm. which means you decrease the risk of injury because your brain is reacting earlier to stuff. Um, mm. You have a better, uh, you will have a better connection to your joints. Mm. I mean, the brain connection to your joints, the, the, mm. the mechanoreceptors are being more efficient on sending, sending signals to your brain. Mm. which means that you'll naturally move better. Um, mm. And it usually we start at the, at the feet, mm. move to the knees, hips, lower back, shoulders, arms, knees, hands, and, and kind of all the way through the system. And that gives it the natural way of, of moving. Mm. And most people I, I, I use it with, has a better toe touch without stretching their hamstrings mm. uh, after doing that. So it's really helpful for, for just mobility and stability. As, as mm. your brain starts accepting your, your limitations or whatever you have, and as soon as you, let's call it, clear up the map a little bit, mm. uh, it will start allowing more strength. It will start allowing more movement. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, right. So that that's a big one that like I've heard a lot of good feedback from that from from other people and mm -hmm. a lot of people here enjoyed it as well because of yeah. you know I mean 
there's ver various levels of fitness, of course, and then movement, uh, we could say intelligence, I guess. Like if you haven't moved a lot throughout your life, then that skill hasn't been practiced, right? So your, your proprioception, your, your map isn't great. And when they started getting that, we could see, yeah, not, it started always subtle, of course, but we start yeah. seeing big changes in their, their movement capacity, which was very the, awesome. The, the good, I mean, the good thing with that is that it's, it's so adapted. So everybody starts at their level. You don't need to be a really good mover to start using it because mm. you can do whatever you can. And as, as with everything else, the better you become, the more, the, the more you improve your movements and, and mm. your motoric capacities. Mm. Um, so that's the benefit with that type because you don't have to do any like really hard yoga stretches or any like, mm. you know, there's nothing that's really, really hard in, let's say for the GFE, for instance, mm. Every, most people can do it. Uh, <laughs> and you can always regress a little bit and do mm. something that's, here if there's something you can't do you stay there until you can move on to the next step mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's one of the benefits with those systems you don't need to do any advanced stuff mm -hmm. uh, you'll still get the results of it i mean mm -hmm. every every new skill you earn is a you know yeah. is, is something that will improve your movement skills mm -hmm. uh, that it was very accessible for people and um yeah, yeah. It's fun to play with, right? So that that was all, always a part of the the feedback that people really liked the games that we would do or that we get from the from the course. So that was yeah. also like a, a major thing as a warm up, right? It's it's kind of I I believe the number one thing for a, a lot of different things that you can use these types of uh, games for to get people in the right states <laughs> to start training yeah, yeah yeah definitely as soon as as soon as people start playing mm. um they usually start moving better mm. because they're relaxed they leave the stress from work at at work mm. and they kind of get it i mean that's how when we teach a, a warm-up with krav maga right with mm. uh, one of the main things is to get them ready for the exercises mm. And part of that is getting in, in fighting is, is getting their fighting brain on. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that in part of that is getting out to whatever else is in there mm -hmm. so that they're not occupied with thinking of if their boss was yelling at them at work, but mm -hmm. they can, as you talked about before, have flow and be mm -hmm. here and now and be present in, in what they're doing. Mm. And that will in itself improve how they perform in the mats. And mm. the game, getting people to laugh and relax, that's that's another parasympathetic response, right? Mm. Yeah. So you're more open to, to uh, more susceptible to getting new information in. Mm. So it's kind of opening up your system and gets you more a, a more efficient learner in mm. that and, and mover. Yeah, so it's really, really beneficial. Yeah, totally. It's uh, it's very cool to hear that from you. Yeah. Um, cool. Also wanted to ask about uh, the, you've done some experimenting with breeding as well, right? The Buteyuko method, you've done some of that and I believe you're certified in it. Yeah, so yes, uh, I'm certified uh, Buteyuko Clinic and 
mm. oxygen advantage. Cool. Mm. Uh, under under Patrick McCown. And mm. uh, yeah, it's uh, another thing that's really beneficial for for people. Mm. Um, it releases stress. Uh, I mean, in general, as soon as you start improving your your uh, oxygen uptake. Mm. Good things happens to your pH levels. It, good things happens to your to your um, your system of transporting CO two away, mm. uh, and it's vasodilating. It's bronchodilating, and when that happens, your your um, heart rate can go down and your blood pressure can go down, mm. and that is another parasympathetic response, mm. which. Again, improves life for most yeah. people, especially 100%. Of life, right? Mm. So, it's definitely um, a part of life stress. Also, yeah, and <laughs> uh, with oxygen advantage, we also simulate high altitude training mm. uh, by lowering the SpO2. Mm. I mean, the oxygen levels in in your blood, you lower them, and that actually will simulate high altitude training so mm. if you get low enough the lower the oxygen levels get uh, the higher altitude so that's more of a performance application yeah yeah so the Bateco clinic is more towards uh, asthma or and mm. health issues Mm. While oxygen advantage is more pushing through uh, towards uh, athletic performance, mm. uh, high altitude training, um, it will affect the EPO of the blood mm. and raise that, and it will increase the, the the amount of red blood cells in your blood. Mm. It will increase the the oxygen uptake, and so on. So there's a, a lot of good benefits from from the potato and mm. there's a lot of good benefits from CO2 and mm. nitric oxide <laughs> in, yeah, the, so, right, in yeah. the right way. Yeah. Nitric oxide, I mean, again, for people that wouldn't really know, is created when you're inhaling through your nose as to oppose yeah. to your mouth, right? You don't create it in nitric oxide then. So nasal yeah. breathing is an inherently important part of a molecule nitric oxide like that it gets created and used by your body in many different ways that are beneficial for your health. <laughs> yeah, nasal breathing will increase CO2 levels because it's a smaller passage. Mm. Uh, it will uh, humidify the air. Mm. It will, at the same time, as you said, create the nitric oxide. Mm. It's created in your sinuses and this part of the, the face mm. as you're inhaling. And those two gases, nitric oxide and CO2, are both uh, vasodilating and bronchodilating, mm. which again gives the benefits. Um, mm. uh, so we need a, a certain level of CO2 in the arterial blood mm. to, so that the oxygen doesn't get stuck to the, to the hemoglobin. Mm. Because if that happens at the same time, you can't transport your CO2 away as you're, as you're being active. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, very nasal breathing is extremely important. Yeah, 100%. Have you tried doing some 
mouth taping so that only nasal work when you're doing either the kettlebell work or some of the the grappling no i haven't i haven't taped but i've mm. been focusing on keeping my mouth shut <laughs> while i'm doing it mm-hmm. uh, but there's also a difference on on how you work i mean if you mm. do really ex- explosive uh, kettlebell work mm-hmm. or, or punching a lot of the time you use your mouth for exhalation mm-hmm. because there we you we use the biomechanical breathing match mm-hmm. to create the interna- interabdominal pressure that irradiates into your limbs for for power generation mm-hmm. and obviously you can do that through the nose also but it's uh, usually much more natural to use it especially for fighting and that that mm. type of activities when it's really explosive and 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 fast mm. because that is also a sympathetic moves if you think mm. you know yeah. you, it, it's fight and flight it's you want to be on and you mm. really want to go hard and use that part of your system as you're working mm. but using the nasal breathing in rest periods mm. between sets yes mm. i've done that a lot and it cool. helps Mm. It helps really, really well. Mm. I have a good friend in Australia, Tim Almond. He he, um, he does some of his sets with water in his mouth. Really? <laughs> so like the so old put, school Spartan uh, trick. Yeah. So he he puts he puts uh, water in his mouth and keeps it there throughout the session. Impressive. Which means nas- nasal breathing is the only way, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, it's really beneficial to at least fight the the urge to to mouth breathe between mm-hmm. sets. If you do a really really hard set, uh, sit down, relax, and just nas- breathe through the nose mm-hmm. and fight the urge to open the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, that will retrain your uh, respiratory center to accept higher levels of co2 mm. uh, and that in itself again as soon as you start accepting higher levels of co2 that will naturally make you get winded later because yeah. co2 is the response mm. or um, let's say feeling winded is the response to increased levels of co2 in the mm. arterial blood mm. and as soon as that happens uh, you'll start opening your mouth which is a natural response to stress mm. that's like the boost that we need in the end when we really need it mm. uh, but if we can fight that urge that part of buteco training is to retrain your respiratory center to to not react mm. so early CO2 raised or increased uh, CO2 levels. Mm. And if you do that after a hard set, when your CO2 levels is high, it's going to f- be unpleasant sometimes. <laughs> I can imagine. But, that, but that, that unpleasant feeling is your respiratory center uh, reacting to the CO2 levels mm. and wanting you to open to lower them. Mm. Okay. So there's different ways of doing that, of course. Um, 
but but keeping your the the mouth shut as as you mm. as you're recovered to recovering between sets will will naturally um, naturally increase that that uh, how you how you react yeah or how you don't react really yeah. that's very powerful to to play around with yeah I've done some of the buteco breeding that I'm 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 working with it and uh yeah it's been it's been very good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really efficient. Um uh, when I did it now I do it like like a normal way. Uh mm. I don't push anything, I just use it now and then. But for a while when I started it, I was up to about 180 seconds after exhalation mm, of the breath hold mm. right after exhalation of, yeah. of breath hold after exhalation that's crazy after after a normal exhalation it mm. it's not a exhalation where you empty out everything and mm. uh, you you measure by a regular mm. exhalation through the nose uh, gotcha yeah. so there's a difference between that and, and completely mm. emptying out. Mm. That's very cool. Yeah. And as to in regards to what you're doing now, like what's are you doing now? Like I, I guess you're using elements of all these things that we've discussed on a daily basis. And how does your your training look? Because you're doing something a uh, hundred a day right now, right? Yeah. Which is yeah, a hundred reps a day, or yeah. can you be more specific? <laughs> no, so so. It started. It started with me and a, a friend of mine. Mm. Uh, I started doing 100 swings per day. Mm. Um, I think it was a little bit before New Year, uh, like New Year's Eve, when mm. the switch of the year of the year. And then after a while, I just put up a, a Instagram post about 100 a day, mm. and then I changed it a little bit because I put you can do one, two, three or four exercises, just do four movements mm. uh, or, or any of those exercises, as long as you get 100 reps in per day mm. um, you can mix it that can be 100 push-ups it can be 25 out of four exercises, you can do them in a row you can do them spread over the day mm. and for me it's been um it's been um, mainly presses and squats and swings, matches mm. the basic kettlebell exercises. Mm. There's no hard pressing. There's nothing maxim maxing any time. There's nothing like really go. And there's there's no um, there's no planning with it. And that's mm. the good thing uh, because I mean, if I have a goal and I want to go somewhere, I plan this training with cycles and and Mm. and so on but now this is the hundred a day is just something that i i do so i get training every day mm. cool uh, some days it's really hard some days it's not so hard and mm. the regarding the breathing and the the ground force method i use them um not necessarily every day but i mm. use them you know like mm ongoing and uh, yeah. some days i'll do some more movement prep mm. some days i'll do some more breathing and mm. so on it just uh, i just use a little bit of everything where i do mm. yeah. awesome 
Good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, yeah. That, that's part of the intuitive uh, capacity. Once you start getting to know your body and mm-hmm. figuring out what you need per day or how you feel per day, right? Yeah. Which is also good that your intensities vary when yeah. you're 100 a day. <laughs> that, yeah. that makes that slightly I mean, easier. The, the 100 a day can be, it can be 100 stretches. I mean, mm. whatever you want to do. Mm. It doesn't have to be. So if you if you have a hard day, mm. uh, you stressed, you you didn't sleep well, you know, you didn't eat well. There's so many things that can happen in life. Mm. To push your system with a really hard training session could be it can be counterproductive. Mm. So maybe, maybe that day just just do a hundred stretches of something, mm. you know. If you're doing yoga, do 100 yoga. If you're doing ground force method, just do 100 stretches or whatever. Mm. Uh, as long as you're doing 100 something per day, mm. that, that was the main thing with that. Uh, yeah. Some people have followed it. I think there's some guys who, since I put it up, they've done something every day. Yeah, awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. And and for me, it's working wonders. I'm I'm stronger than than ever. Well, there we go. And like for the general population, it's also beneficial. I mean, even if we would take strength out of the equation, to just have movement throughout the day, right? Which is yeah. more of the greasing the groove mentality that you could yeah. find in Pavel's thinking, which is just doing yeah. some things throughout the day. And even if it's like not strength related, as you mentioned, that would already be beneficial for you to, to, to do that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, because we are such a sedentary lifestyle now, mm. and most people, you know, the general population, I would say, sit down more than they stand up. Mm. They sit and eat, they sit and watch TV, they they we i'm part of that some days mm. i you know you drive a car sitting down you spend your full day in front of a computer mm. and maybe it maybe you get an hour of training in the afternoon right mm. i mean that that's normal life for most people now mm. uh, or for a very big part of the population mm. uh, i know great cook used to say that if you're not moving around and walking around for eight hours a day you have a sedentary lifestyle because mm-hmm. that's what we're created for yeah as, as a species mm-hmm. and uh i like that idea that what i do isn't sport specific we mm-hmm. usually say that it's species specific mm, that's a good one yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's i don't if I let's say I take a look at the kettlebell swing, it's it's a hip hinge and explosive hip hinge, right? Mm. You can use that hip hinge and the explosive power from that mm. in any sport, any sport that they needs power development. It's it's not sport specific for for jumping or for that or for that. It's mm. for everything mm. because most sport use that power position, that position of of explosive power. Mm. And, and the endurance that you get from it, the strength that you get from it in your trunk and your and your torso, your hips, your knees, it's it's your species. Mm. I mean, the human body mm. will become a more efficient human body if it's good at certain movements like hip pinch, squats, presses, pulls, walks, mm. you know, the, the the movements that 
that's usually called the main ones. Mm. And if we're good at those, where everything else we do is usually easier. Yeah. So that's why I don't really believe in a sport-specific training all the time. It's more, mm. you know, if I want to make the machine better, I mm. want to make the machine move better be more fluid in movement and at the mm-hmm. same time being better at producing uh, power yeah um, and lift heavier things and then the en- basically the engine is bigger so you can mm. you have you have more power to push mm. whatever you need it totally and out of all of this that we have been talking about now if you would give people like either one thing to do or like one takeaway that they could start with tomorrow. What, what would you, what would you choose? Whether that's in breeding, nutrition, movements. I know it's a difficult one. Uh, it's a really, really difficult question, but to be honest, mm. what I had a lot of people who tried it would be the breathing because breathing mm. is so, so uh, systematic. Mm. Oxygen. I mean, if you improve your oxygen uptake, if you get more oxygen to your brain, you'll be less stressed. You'll mm. be thinking better. You can run longer. You can lift mm. more, and so on and so on. Mm. Uh, so breathing is one thing, but definitely the. I would, on the other hand, put kettlebells in people's hands. Yeah. Uh, because what happens when you lift kettlebells is that you naturally start uh, increasing your heart rate. Mm. So also there, your CO2 levels goes up. So it's part mm. of that retraining your whole system of, of when you're ac- when you're active. Uh, so I'm, you know, uh, breathing is really easy to do. Just mm. don't, don't breathe with your mouth. Mm. Put a piece of tape on it uh, when you sleep. Mm. Uh, but but uh, no i i would say kettlebells to to start lifting Mm. yeah fantastic all right i think that kind of covers my questions for you so i think for the end here you can just tell people where they can either connect with you or find more of of your work or because i remember that you also offer online coaching Right, which is yeah. in kettlebells, Krav Maga, and I'm guessing Bateco as well. Anything, anything I do. Okay. Uh, but right now, I'm I'm doing. Uh, I got like memberships, mm. uh, so you can choose whatever you want to need, do in, mm. in whatever I have. Most mm. people do do, um, do the kettlebells. Mm-hmm. Some people do Krav Maga. Mm. Um, a little bit different be, between their personal needs and some people mm. do both mm. uh, because they they kind of interconnect uh, but they'll find me at tommy bloom at mm. instagram mm. Uh, tenacity.se is mm. the website mm. and that's the main channels um, yep. just connect with me there with the dm or something and uh, mm. if if there's anything i can do it would be nice to, to mm. start working awesome all right, then uh, we'll send people your way and I'll put everything in the descriptions. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. Thanks, man. Thank you.